Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, aka the Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me on my left for tonight's very special episode of TCCP is none other than former Warwickshire wicketkeeper and member of the South Asian Cricket Academy, Mr. Vikai Kelly. So Vikai, first things first, mate, great to have you here on the podcast for a chat about all things county crickets. And of course, the wonderful art of wicket keeping. I've got to ask, mate, how's your day been so far? Yeah, it's not been bad, mate. Just been a uh, just been training down at, at Gloucester with a few of the boys. So yeah, I had a good little session, nice coffee, and a little chill for the day. So yeah, sounds quite nice that to be honest. And you mentioned about in terms of the the training down in Bristol with the Gloucestershire boys as part of that Saka setup. In in terms of that training so far, how have been finding things? over the yes, over winter it's been good so far so basically what the setup was um there's a few houses around the country that Saka have like put us in so there's a few boys in birmingham a few in bradford um so we've me um and two of my two of the other soccer boys have been put up in bristol so we've been given a little flat for the first like five weeks of the program um so we've just been living in this flat for the last i'd say two weeks now i think it's two weeks today we moved in so first two weeks of training um yeah it's been it's been class to be fair just to get back in the routine of because we're training four or five times a week down at the at the gloucester ground so yeah it's just good to get back into the swing of things really get working on some technical things and back v ball and things like that really absolutely it's all about getting back into fitness and getting back into gear as well isn't it ahead of this yeah, upcoming definitely. season and definitely. You mentioned about those battles against the Gloucestershire bowlers. Just for those out there who aren't aware, actually, of, of who's still in the UK, because obviously you've got the likes of David Payne overseas in, in T20 tournaments at the moment. But in terms of the Gloucestershire boys that you've been facing so far, who have you been facing in those net sessions and in those training sessions? To be fair, we started off like today was the first day we actually had any battery ball, really. Um, so we started off just with some technical work hit some balls and just got back into it properly, just, you know, just, yeah, literally getting back into it. So um, today, our session that we had, we just faced um, Adjusting Dale, um, Matt Taylor, sure. So, yeah, it was good just to get, you know, seeing the ball out the hand again and always better out the hand than on a side arm, I reckon. So, but yeah, it was good. It was, it, them, bowlers are, them bowlers are a challenge, great to face, really. They certainly are, and to be honest, Vic, I think we can pick up that conversation later on in today's podcast because I'm absolutely fascinated, to be honest, to to learn more about your journey with Saka and obviously all of the hard work that you've been putting in over the course of this winter. But before we jump the gun and we get too far ahead and we start discussing this season and, of course, the future, Vic, I think it's right that we start right at the beginning of your critting story, where every single good tale begins. So. In terms of your first ever memories of cricket, what are your first ever memories of this simply spectacular game? I think the first memories I had just, I've got two older brothers, so literally I spent the majority of my childhood just in the garden, so just backyard cricket. And then I think I initially start. I joined the club, I just went to watch my brother play a game. Um, it was at least like an under nines, like orange wind ball game, like quick cricket pretty much. So. I just went to watch. I think one of the lads didn't turn up. They asked me to play. And then they were like, oh, you, you should join the club. So just joined and just took it from there, really. I've been playing from quite young, but with two older brothers, I guess I got lucky. 
Absolutely. It's always nice, though, isn't it, to to have that familial connection into the game in the first place. It's It just makes it easier, I think, to have that initial foray into the game of cricket. And you mentioned your two older brothers, Vicar, just to give them a bit of a shout-out. Kickstart proceedings in <laughs> a nice, wholesome manner. What are their names, just for the benefits of the so listeners I've out got, there? I've got, I've got two older brothers, so the middle one's called Vic, or Vivek, but we call him Vic, and then my oldest brother's called Vinay. Well, Maybe. shout out to, to Vivek and Vinay then. Quite clearly had a massive <laughs> influence on yeah, your 100%. cricket journey, Vikoyans. In terms of those early years then, were you always a keeper? Because I did watch an interview that you did with Anish Patel, a very good cricket coach who was based here in the Midlands. And I'm pretty sure if my memory serves me correctly, you actually started off bowling a bit of pace. Am I right in thinking that yeah, in those like, early years? It was, uh, it, it was a bit random, really. So I grew up like... If I look at my trophy cabinet, there's a few bowling awards in there back when I was like eight years old or something silly like that. But I think what, how it all happened was, so I started off just because every, when you're in the playing cricket in the garden, everyone's bowling, you have to learn to bowl. Like. So then um, what happened was, so I used to bowl. Um, and then when I was like nine years old, I think, when like the county age group stuff starts and all them, all them type of things, um, my, my club coach put me through because I was a decent fielder, my club coach put me through as a wicketkeeper for like the district trials and stuff. So I got into like the the Southern Stormers in the in the like the Staffordshire district before the county stuff starts, and then uh, had no training, like didn't even know how to keep or anything. Had a couple of sessions, maybe just catching a few balls with some gloves on, and then never looked back really. Well, I'll tell you what, that's quite an an interesting route then into the art form itself because with a lot of keepers uh, a lot of them just start very early on it's something which they're almost drawn to in their formative years but the fact that you started off as a seamer and of of transitions into this particular role over the years is quite fascinating and I, I found it funny actually you mentioned there about needing to bowl in the backyard because so many people myself included right when it comes to playing cricket in the garden take it far too seriously and in particular when you've got brothers and siblings things get heated it's like the boxing day test out there at times it It, it does doesn't it honestly backyard or back garden cricket brings out the inner brett lee in a lot of people (laughs) obviously (laughs) it, it doesn't quite manifest itself in the same manner i can't bowl 90 mile an hour but when you're facing your brother you feel as though you can. You want to bowl beamer after beamer, bumper after bumper. It, it brings out the primal side of people. So I've got to ask Vicar, in terms of those back garden sessions that you shared with your brothers, were they quite competitive in those early 100%, years? One hundred percent, one hundred percent. Like because because like obviously now it's a bit different. If we all played a game of cricket, we'd all be like bowling the same type of pace and whatever. But when I'm like ten years old and my brothers are fourteen, seventeen, then uh. It, yeah, it was a bit of a challenge. I think a few, a few, a few of the games ended in tears, but won't share too many details about that. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, no, it was, it, it's always been competitive. I, I guess that kind of nature's like kind of helped me. I guess just playing cricket in general. Well, it, it's funny you mention that actually, because this is something I wanted to touch upon, and I've spoken about it with a lot of cricketers actually. Do you think the presence of of having siblings? has made you a more competitive individual because it is that classic old trope, isn't it? Sibling rivalry, right? And I know this because I've got a brother and we used to get very heated when it came to football, right? (laughs) You speak about tears. There were plenty of them over the years, to be honest. But do you think having that almost friendly rivalry 
with the likes of Vivek and Vinay has made you a more competitive individual? Yeah, 100%. I think you never want to lose to your brothers, especially. So I feel like in the garden, when when you're playing, that, that kind of competitiveness always comes out regardless of how serious you're taking it. But I think if my brothers are watching this or listening, they'll agree with me heavily that every game you wanted to win, even if it, even if it was football, like we used to play all the games in the garden. So yeah, any any sport that we play, if you, if you weren't winning, you weren't happy. And that's just how it is, to be honest. When you do have siblings, every single football match is a Champions League final. Every single <laughs> cricket game in the back garden is like you're playing in the World Cup. Honestly, it's a dangerous game at times. It really is, but it's brilliant, isn't it? And for a lot of people, having that almost, it's friendly sibling rivalry does almost shape your journey in many ways. And to be honest, Vicar, it's great to hear that you've had such a fantastic childhood with your brothers and a very, very nice route into the game in the first place. And aside from those family links then, right, your brothers who have quite clearly had a massive influence on your cricket journey up until this point, did you have any idols, any icons, any role models in the wide professional game, whether that was international cricket or indeed the county circuit as well, did you have anybody like that in those formative years who you looked up to and tried to emulate in some ways, per se? I think growing up, I always, always looked at MS Stoney. I think as like growing up, because I feel like when I was real, real young, I, I didn't really used to enjoy watching cricket at all because I felt like, oh, like I play, I don't really want to watch it, etc. And then growing up, like when you get in teenager years and whatever, you start watching it properly because you're realising that I should be watching these guys. So MS Dhoni, Joss Butler, them type of players. I think any keeper batter, really, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at and taking mental notes, really. And understandably so, to be honest, because we've been blessed, haven't we, in our generation. So many fantastic keepers and innovative keepers as well. The likes of Mahendra Singh Dhoni, Joss Butler, A.B. de Villiers when he had the gloves as well, Mr. Yeah. 360, Brendan McCullum as well. A lot of people yeah, forget that he yeah. used to keep. I mean, he was one of the, the innovators and forefathers of this new generation, along with Adam Gilchrist. Kumar Sangakkara used to keep as well. I mean, we have had so many fantastic individuals to look up to in our generation. And this might be difficult, Vikai, but if you could have a dream net session with just one wicketkeeper from the stories history of this incredible game who do you select and why well that's a tough question that is you know what i'd probably go oh, i'm not sure because growing up like, in terms of my like not era of growing up but like growing up when australia were playing i used to watch brad Haddon take screamers oh, good shout but then i'm thinking about if i'm trying to think back to the I don't know why Australian keepers are coming to mind, but I'm thinking about Gilchrist as well. I'm thinking about... I don't know why Quinton Decock keeps coming at me as well. Proper cricketer. So, I don't know. I feel like Brad Haddon's a big one, to be honest. Brad Haddon would be the choice then? Oh, that's that's a bit of a rogue shout, isn't it? But... Oh, I don't think it is rogue, to be honest. Brad Haddon was a quality keeper, not just yeah, for Australia, but of course... In the big bash as well. He was brilliant. Yeah, I reckon yeah, I'd probably go bad had him then. Was MS Doney not in the in the background though? Were you not tempted to choose my Henderson Doney? I, I was. But it was like I feel like technically technically obviously MS Doney is completely sound as a keeper, but 
I just because just because of growing up watching Haddon and watching old Test highlights and whatever, the bit of nostalgia coming back to me. <laughs> hey, to be honest, it's a good shout, and that's the thing. This is the great thing about cricket, and this is why I absolutely love platforms like podcasts. You can have these chats, you can have these debates, you can have these discussions until the cows come home, and I guarantee there'll be people listening to this episode, and they'll have their own individual takes. They might have chosen a McCullum, for example, a Quinton de Kock, a Joss Butler. That's the great thing about cricket. It's subjective. We all have our own favourites, and in terms of keeping as an art form then, Vikai, just before we touch upon that kind of journey back into the age groups at Staffordshire, and of course my county of Warwickshire, just to touch upon the the art form, the discipline of wicket keeping itself, what is your favourite aspect of actually being a wicket keeper? I think just being involved all the time, really. I think as a keeper, you can really make an impact on the game. Obviously, there's there's certain bowlers that obviously are taking wickets and doing this, but I feel like as a keeper, there's more to it than just taking catches. Like, even little things just like coming up to the stumps and making an impact that way or getting the boys around quicker or being the loudest loudest lad on the field or there's just there's so many different things that you can that you can influence in a game without even without any real like skill level really i think there's certain things yeah like just getting the boys around and like just being able to influence the game as much as i can really and that's the key thing, isn't it, to be honest? It's a very common answer when I ask this to wicket keepers. You are always involved in the game. As you mentioned, even if you're not taking catches or taking stumpings or even affecting runouts, you can almost have that presence as a keeper behind the stumps, whether that is a quite literal presence by standing up or whether it's just a case of communicating with your boulders, communicating with the fielders, communicating with your captain. You almost take centre stage, don't you, as a keeper? It's it's quite an interesting position in the game of cricket. Yeah, I, I do agree to be honest because I I've got the I've got a great view of the whole game. Really, I can see where I can see the angles. I can see how our batter's playing, I can, which I can report back to the bowler and skipper, or I can give the bowler like certain areas of where he's bowling or where we think we should bowl in, and just yeah, just being involved all the time because you can you can see all the different parts of that parts of the pitch and. Just get involved the best, like the best way you can to try and help. You know, take wickets and whatever the bowler wants. You certainly can, and that is why it's an incredibly important position. You've got to be built different to be a keeper. I've said that a lot on this podcast as well. It's almost like the goalkeeper in cricket. It takes a special individual to be a top quality wicketkeeper because obviously you need natural ability, right? You've got to have sharp reflexes, sharp reactions. You've got to be brave as well and courageous when it comes to standing up to to pace or indeed to spin, because a lot can go wrong. If you misjudge it, you're going to get hurt as a keeper. But at the same time, there's so much to love about this discipline. It's absolutely wonderful. And, you know, when you watch a, a lightning quick stumping, or as you mentioned beforehand, Quinton de Kock, for example, taking an absolute blinder, just diving like a salmon to his right. Honestly, it's just brilliant. It makes for great, great viewing as a lover of this great game. And in terms of, of standing up to spin, and of course, standing back to same Vikoy, what do you prefer actually keeping wicket to? Because again, this is subjective. This has been controversial on this podcast in the past. Do you prefer standing up to spin and having the chance to take those stumpings? Or do you prefer facing up against seam and taking those spectacular catches? How do you view that particular aspect 
of keeping? I think well, it's a tough one to be honest. I feel like it depends what lads are standing in the slips, really. Um, <laughs> now, I think I, I like being, I like standing up to the spin, to be honest, just because I can, you know, speak to the batter or see the angles even clearer or just being out, just because you're close, I feel like I'm just closer to the, just closer to it all. And I feel like I'm making, making a, making a bit of a difference, you know what I mean? Yeah, I completely get that, to be honest. And again, that has been a very, very common answer on the podcast because you can just put that extra bit of chirp in the batter's ear, can't you? You can put them off. And we mentioned the word presence. It's so important. It really is. Standing up, whether it's to spin or to same, really does have a psychological impact on the opposition as well. If you've got a confident keeper behind the stumps, who if you know at any minute can whip off your bail without any hesitation... You've got that thought lingering in your mind. So it's absolutely imperative to have that ability to stand up to spin even better if you can do it to seem as well as we've seen the likes of, of Michael Burgess do in county cricket. He has been absolutely lethal in combination with the likes of Chris Rushworth and Oliver Hannon Dorby. So again, there's so many interesting aspects and facets of this discipline. And I'm not surprised actually that you mentioned about spin because as we'll probably touch upon in due course, Vikai, that did have a massive role to play in your Bears debut, didn't it? With those yeah, pair of did, stumpings yeah. against <laughs> against Northant. So, yeah, to be honest, that was the, the answer I think I was expecting from that particular question. But uh, aside from the, the better elements of keeping guns, the more fantastic facets of this particular art form, what do you think is the most difficult aspect of being a wicketkeeper? Because we've mentioned beforehand the additional pressure you are taking centre stage. If you drop an absolute dolly of a catch as a keeper, you've got 10 times more pressure, 10 times more eyes on you because everybody expects you to take it. You've got gloves on, the other fielders don't. And then, of course, you do have missed opportunities, whether that's a missed stumping, you might miss a run out, for example, you might not perform well. And that is very, very difficult at times. So in terms of the tougher aspects of this particular role, what do you say is the most difficult aspect of being a I'd keeper? Pro- I'd probably say um, there's a few really. There's obviously playing multi-day cricket is, is tough for everyone. Everyone's got a, a few niggles and this and that. But as a keeper, your hands get bashed, especially like when you're standing back to the seamers and the red ball's wobbling. You might get a few knocks on the on the end of the fingers and you've just got to get on with it really, I think. Especially in the multi-day cricket, it's, it's, it's a long day really, especially when you've got two set batters in and you've still got to be the one driving the team around it's it's a tiring job sometimes but I feel like you've just got to just got to grit your teeth and get on with it to be honest but comes with the job well it does and that's a great point to be honest it is physically draining as well isn't it with all of the squatting I mean is there anything in particular I, I don't think I've actually asked this enough on the podcast but do you have any particular training exercises which help you in terms of all of that bending and and moving as a keeper I think it's just just strength work, really. Just doing, uh, keeping your quads, your glutes, your hammies, everything as strong as they can. Just conditioned, and I think the more volume you get, the, the easier it gets, really. Because start of the season, when you might not be have that much keeping in your legs, you might have a multi-day game early doors, and you'll feel it the next day. But as the season gradually goes on, you you kind of get 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 into it a bit more. And as long as you're keeping fit and keeping strong, I think that. There's not much else you can do, really, and then the season will just take care of itself. 
Exactly. To be honest, that's some very, very safety advice because that is the controllables, isn't it? That's something which you can control. And obviously, cricket's a cruel game at times with injuries, with poor form, poor results. But again, if you can control your conditioning, your strength, that aspect of the game, it does set you up. It sets you up for life, to be honest, doesn't it? Having that discipline and and self-control as well. So I think that is some great advice, to be honest. Four young wicket keepers, Vic Irons. You mentioned beforehand about your hands taking an absolute battering. Right, I've seen the hands of some keepers and absolutely covered in tape and bruises. In terms of, of that particular aspect of the game, is that something which has troubled you over the years in terms of finger injuries, wrist injuries, hand injuries, stuff like that? I've been quite lucky. I feel like I haven't had any major blows, touch wood. I haven't, I haven't broken any bones properly. Well, I haven't broken any bones in, in, in general, really, but um, it's just you get the few odd fingers and then you, you'll have a little blow. And then because the volume of the cricket so much during the season, because you've got the the multi-day games in the week and then the club games Saturday, Sunday, and then you feel like your hands never really get a rest. But you just I just use loads of tape, loads of, loads of padding in my gloves. I go double inners as well. So, yeah best protection you can get really but yeah I think as lo- the worst is when you get a little bruise early doors in the year and then can't really find any relief yeah it's it's quite literally painful isn't it to be honest yeah. in in more ways than one you know it's it's incredible there are some people out there in club cricket who don't wear inners and I, I get that it's a bit different right if you're only playing on a Saturday or a Sunday compared to you know an arduous and, and difficult county season but it must stink You've got to have absolutely just brutal hands after that. They must be absolutely devastated, to be honest, after all of that well, contact and friction. I mean, it's 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 quite difficult, to be honest, on the hands at times. But, yeah, again, I think that's some decent advice. Wear inners. That's something yeah, which 100%. I've not kept Take often. But when I have, yeah, definitely wear inners. <laughs> it's, it definitely helps just provide that bit of extra padding and also comfort, to be honest when yeah, you keep him, but Vicky, aside then from our chats about the wonderful world of wicket-keeping, which, to be honest, I imagine we'll probably pick up again at some yeah. point in tonight's podcast, I just wanted to get us back on track to that early journey then, because so far we've mentioned almost primarily that starts in, in back garden cricket, but we haven't really touched upon your journey into the county circuit with the likes of Staffordshire and Warwickshire. So in terms of going from playing for your local club side, how did you go from those early days playing in the back garden with your brothers to representing the likes of Staffordshire and, of course, the Bear and Ragged staff of Warwickshire? Um, so it just started... Um, so I think I was nine years old when I was doing the the district stuff, so like the Southern Stormers and the... There's, there's, I think there's three different areas of the Staffordshire County that get broken, get broken into. Um, so... Yeah, there was like a there was a north, central, east, and south. No, there's four even. Um, and then I think it was I didn't get into the county side year below myself, year above myself even. And then when I was ten years old, and then I've gone, then I got into the the county side, and then pretty much played up until for staffs up until I was about sixteen. I think it was. Um, I didn't really t- set the world alight either. I was a. Uh, I think I, I used to open the bat in like under tens, 
and then under 11s did a bit and then under 13s I used to battle at number seven for the staff side and then I think I think one year me me and my dad had a proper chat and just said look we're gonna take this take this seriously and then started having some better coaching and some one-to-one work and proper worked hard during that winter and then I was back in the top order the following season and then started to score a bit of runs. Well, flipping X, so that is quite the turnaround, isn't it? So from going from seven and, and keeping to all of a sudden back in that top order. And you mentioned there about having those one-to-ones and a better standard of coaching. Who did you actually turn to at that particular stage of your journey? So up until I was about 13, I only ever did like group Sunday sessions and hitting some balls in the garden with my brothers, like just, just messing about. And then I think um, after my under-13 season, my county coach was Martin Williams and um, Graham Warner. So I ended up getting some one-to-ones from with Graham Warner down in Stoke at the Cricket Cave for the whole winter, really. And that definitely improved my game massively in terms of technique and just learning how to score runs, really. So I think the following season, I scored a, little, I scored a few runs. And then when I was 15... Um, I think I hit my first first hundred when I was fifteen against North Ants. Um, yeah, and then I think when I, I think it was when when I was fifteen, I got put on the the Warwickshire senior skill set for the Warwickshire batting senior skill set or something like that. I think it's one below the EPP. And then the following season, I got put onto the EPP. And then the following season of that it was academy. And then yeah, just went from there. Well, just before we touch upon your experiences at Warwickshire, <coughs> apologies in advance, folks. I might get a bit biased when we talk about my beloved Bears, but just rewinding ever so slightly to that time at Stasvik, I just one final question I did have about that time. It is basically the impact that that has on your cricket journey because obviously the, the national counties don't have the same facilities as the first-class counties, in particular a, a test match venue like Edgebaston, which is the home of Warwickshire. But in terms of the pathways, they do play a massive role. And we've had so many cricketers come on to this podcast, whether it has been for Staffs or Wiltshire or Devon or Cornwall, whoever, and have come on and said that it's had a massive impact on their particular story. So in terms of that time spent at Staffordshire, just how much of an impact and how useful was that in terms of getting you on the right path? Yeah, I, I owe a lot to staff. To be honest, I always um, I love my times. I love my time at staff. Even um, even the like the away days with the boys, like it was great just developing as a person as well. Do you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, staff was class. All the training, all the coaches. It was a proper tight bond in terms of our squad and every game we played, we loved. So it was good to have that kind of relaxing nature as well as the competitive side as well because. Um, in our age group, we were a proper competitive side. I think when we were under 14, we were the champions of the other group and we were beating all the all the first-class counties. So, um, yeah, I, I love my time at Staffs. And then it, w- it was a big change when I went to Warwickshire, to be honest, in terms of, you know, training at Edgebass. And I remember the first few sessions, I was a bit star- starstruck, really, just turning up and, and, and getting involved. Well, let's touch upon that because... Obviously, I don't need a second invitation to talk about Warwickshire. I think I do it enough on this podcast, to be honest. Might as well rename myself Mr. Warwickshire at this point. But in terms of Edgebaston, it really is a special place. It's a special venue, to be honest, to call your home. And you mentioned those facilities. You mentioned the sensation of being starstruck almost at the grandeur of the place. I mean, 
what were your first impressions of Warwickshire as an outfit? Yeah, it was it was just really professional. I think just turning up and however many lanes there are, and then all the machines and the viewing area and just everything really. I remember having an induction or something um, on the top floor in one of the meeting rooms and just being like, yeah, this is this is where I want to be, to be honest. Yeah, it's incredible. It really is. Honestly, for anyone who has not been to Edgbaston, get yourself down. Whether it's Championship, 50 over cricket, T20 cricket, whatever the competition, absolutely worth it. It's one of the greatest, if not the absolute greatest venues on the entire planet. And Vikai, in terms of that EPP and the academy set up at Warwickshire, again, I just wanted to ask a, a similar question to that previous one about staffs. Right, you mentioned about being more professional. Obviously, the facilities and the coaching probably would have been better as a result of the increased funding and increased budget as well. So in terms of that time spent on the EPP and with the Bears Academy, again, in terms of putting you on the right direction in this sport to go on to become a professional cricketer, just how integral, how vital, how pivotal was that time in that academy setup? Yeah, it was definitely a very big part of my development. I think even before um, before the season would start, we'd have like a, a PDP, so like a personal development plan of like red, Amazon greens of what our strong points of our games were. So we got a better understanding of our, of our game in general. Um, just work, working on our um, weaknesses and working on our strengths as well to keep them strengths. And it was definitely just... Yeah, definitely integral because we just got to be more self-aware and almost lead our own sessions sometimes of what we want to work on. And then obviously certain sessions were uh, based on white ball batting or power hitting and whatever. But yeah, it was definitely really important because I think we just developed a lot as players. You certainly do. In terms of that academy setup at Warwickshire, it has been brilliant over the years, to be honest. And it is that mix, isn't it, in terms of almost having to find your own way in certain aspects of your game, but also having that almost mentorship as well. I think it's quite a nice blend of the two things. And actually, just before we touch upon the academy in a bit more detail and we touch upon your pro debut for the Bears, there's something else which I've just got to talk about because this almost alludes to that previous piece of mentions about your interview with Anish. But at the time, so around about 2017 to 2018, this is, maybe that's a slight jump ahead in the timeline, but whilst you were at the Bears, Vikai, you also played a lot of indoor cricket, and this is something which, to be honest, I don't talk about enough on this podcast, and yet I do think it's brilliant, in particular for keepers, right? Indoor cricket is very, very useful in terms of almost having transferable skills between the outdoor and the indoor game, so in terms of that opportunity, in terms of playing indoor <coughs> crickets, where did that actually begin in the first place? So I think I was like 15. I think I was 15 at the time when I first started playing. I think my my local club at the time that I was playing for, Ford Houses, they joined like an indoor league that was in Wolverhampton. Um, and then they asked me if I wanted to play and I just, I just wanted to play any cricket really. So I, I joined in and I used to keep and then I used to really enjoy it. Used to it's really fast-paced game, so I used to be always moving and slowly just started playing more and more. Got invited to a few sessions down in uh, Erdington in Birmingham at the Action Indoor Sports Centre there, and then played a few games and was enjoying it. And then there was a tour um, 
with the it would have been the England under 17s at the time to tour to New Zealand um, in 2018 and I got invited on that tour so I went to New Zealand with them boys and yeah I loved it like especially as a keeper you're standing up to all the seamers definitely improved my game as a wicket keeper 100% um, but yeah that, that was how it all started really with the indoor game anyway. Well again it's a fascinating route into the indoor game and to be honest really glad to hear such a glowing endorsement of the indoor game as well really really refreshing to hear because a lot of players do get great joy even if they don't get on to become professionals right as a result of playing that and transferring the skills across to the outdoor game it just seems like a lot of fun doesn't it indoor cricket it's absolute chaos carnage it's so hectic at times and you mentioned that tournament in 2018 absolutely spot on yeah it was the junior world series over in new zealand i mean What's that like for you going over to one of the most spectacular nations in all of the cricketing world and playing indoor cricket? That must have been pretty special. Yeah, it was a uh, it was different because I, I, even though like I wasn't bad at playing indoor cricket, like I wasn't I wasn't great at the time. Um, but so yeah, we've gone over and I think we where did we go? We went to Christchurch, so we're staying there, and it was just yeah, it was just a two weeks of fun really. I think. The game was a, a compet- the games were co- highly competitive, but I think we were a bit blown out of the water by a few of the Aussie boys and the New Zealand boys and the South African boys, to be honest. But but yeah, I had a great time. I, I loved it. It was it was a proper good environment to be in, um, just to kind of get used to being in that team team environment, I guess. Well, again, I'm really really glad to hear that, Vicky, because it, it's an interesting tournament, to be honest. I don't think it gets too much attention, but. Uh, again, it's just, <laughs> it's a great way to get into indoor cricket, isn't it, to be honest? And that does sound like an awful lot of fun, uh, apart from the games against the likes of Australia and New Zealand. Yeah. I know <laughs> Australia in particular take their indoor cricket very seriously. They've got some massive leagues over there, to be honest. They have just been dominating indoor cricket for a number of years. But what an experience to have at, at such a young age. I mean, going over to New Zealand, overseas cricket. Being in Christchurch, I mean, that, that's quite the journey, isn't it, to be honest, considering that before that, you'd never even kind of taken notice of the indoor game. And all of a sudden, you're on the other side of the world in a beautiful city like Christchurch. And just before we do get back on track to the Bears and we talk about your debut for the West Midlands outfits, in terms of that time in Christchurch, did you get to go to the Hagley Oval or did you not have time during that series? I'm not sure where we went. I think we went to one stadium, but I didn't. I didn't really take much notice, which is a bit embarrassing. But I'm not sure. I, I couldn't tell you to be honest. We definitely went to a stadium, and it was, it was a great. Like we got to walk over the wicket and have a look at the at the ground properly. It was it was class, but I couldn't tell you the name of the ground. Uh, fair enough. We'll have to find <laughs> that out. We'll have to do some extra digging to be honest from that series. Anybody involved in the 2018 World Series? Let us know. Maybe we'll be able to find out the answer to that question one day. But honestly, Christchurch is absolutely spectacular. The Hagley Oval is an incredibly picturesque venue. And yeah, it's bucket list stuff, isn't it? To be honest, watching cricket in New Zealand, playing cricket in New Zealand. Goodness me, lucky for some, eh, Vicky? Lucky for some. But yeah, it's a good tour. No, it sounds like it. Sounds absolutely class. And yeah, a really, really good memory by the sounds of it as well. And talking of another memory. Another occasion which I'm guessing takes pride of place, to be honest, in your cricket story, Vicky. We've got to talk about your pro debut for Warwickshire County Cricket Club or 
as we're known in the T20, the Birmingham Bears, because this is an occasion. Obviously, the, the background behind it is quite unique in some ways in terms of getting the opportunity in the first place. But making your debut for a club of Warwickshire's stature and prestige is absolutely massive. This is the things this is the thing which dreams are made of, to be honest. So in terms of the opportunity in the first place, first and foremost, when did you find out that you'd be representing the Bears in that T20 Blast match down at Wantage Road? It was a, it's a bit of a crazy story, to be honest. I was literally, I think it, it was COVID time at the, at the, at the time. So um, it was, I was literally playing PS4 with my, with my, with my little cousin um and what happened was it was i think i got a message from the, from the academy group chat just saying about training something's different about training or something um so then i've gone i've, I've gone downstairs to tell my dad because at the time i weren't driving because i was only 17 at the time um so i've gone downstairs to tell my dad oh like we need to go um training at a different time or, or whatever but I, I didn't know he was at work in the office because sometimes he's working from whatever um so then i've gone back upstairs and then I've got a missed call off Jim Troughton. He was the obviously the first team coach at the time. So I've given him a call back and his base just said to me, um, because of the COVID stuff going up going on, Burgess has gone down with an illness and we need to get him tested for for COVID before. Um Ambrose is available to play, but we we, we want you to play. So yeah, I was I was buzzing. I remember when I, my heart kind of sank when he first when he first said them words and then I remember my brother was in his room, so I've gone to speak to my brother and tell him, and he thought I was he thought I was taking a nick, and he didn't even believe me until I was on the phone with um, Paul Greeter, my academy director. Um, I was speaking to to Greeters about it, and just basically saying, get to Edgebaston as soon as you can. We need to get you signed up, and etc. So I made my way um, down to Edgebaston with my even when I when I phoned my dad afterwards, he didn't believe me. He was like, oh, why why are you lying this and that? And I was like, no, nah, genuine. So we got down to Edgebaston and. Got all the got all the paperwork sorted. Goodness me, that is quite the the baptism of fire, then, isn't it? Into the world of county cricket, such a a short turnover, to be honest, going from academy into the pros. And in terms of your feelings on that night, Vic, I know obviously the the circumstances weren't ideal with with Burgess being ill, but in terms of that night at Wantage Road, stepping out onto that field, representing one of the eighteen first class counties, this is a dream for thousands, if not millions of people. What are the thoughts, what are the emotions, what were the feelings like for yourself on that fateful night? Yeah, it was a bit scary, to be honest. Like, I'm on the team bus with a few a few of the guys that I don't really know and just kind of sat there pretty silent with my AirPods in and, yeah, I didn't really say too much and then just started warming up and had some, I think I had a pre-match meal or something that they that they prepared for us and just got got down on the field and pretty much once I got once I got out on the pitch and just started warming up and had a hit and stuff, it was it just come pretty natural in the sense of I just tried to think of it as another game of cricket anyway, but the nerves kinda of settled after I kind of caught a few balls and warmed up properly, really. Well, it's funny you mention that to be honest, because I did have one question actually, aside from the keeping, which we'll touch upon in due course, right? And it's about the batting order on that particular night because you were carded at 10, if I'm not mistaken. Was yeah. that something which was pre-arranged or was that something which happened just during the innings? Like, how did that come about? I just think that, because um, I think that the only T20 I'd played, I think I only played one or two second team games T20 before that. 
and I think like a couple of weeks before I must have got like a quick five thirty or something. Um so then I, I wasn't I, I was happy to bat wherever to be honest. I was, as long as I was playing I didn't even mind. But I yeah, I think it was pretty predetermined. I think that that was pretty much what they said when because we uh bowled first and then they just said the batting order and I was I was just happy regardless anyway, to be honest. Well, that's completely understandable, to be honest. And, you know, it's your first game, isn't it? I'm yeah. guessing there probably would have been a bit of nerves as well on that particular occasion. And if I'm not mistaken, at the time, you're only 17. Because it was September the 1st, wasn't it? Yeah, September the 1st. Goodness me. So your last day of being a 17-year-old, and there you are, out in the middle, <laughs> representing the the Bears of Warwickshire County Cricket Club. And in terms of your keeping on that night, first and foremost, I've got to say, Vic, I'm really impressed. It was something which I mentioned actually on this podcast back in 2020. I was like, flipping heck, we've got an absolute machine here behind gloves, <laughs> you know, for such a young keeper. Really impressed, in particular, with your standing up to spin bowling. What was that like? And again, what's going through your head, standing out in the middle? Did you feel the pressure and the almost the, the sense of occasion on that particular night? Yeah, I, I, I didn't really feel the pressure in that sense because I felt like, because the adrenaline's going, you're just so focused on the outcome of the game and just your own performance and, and them type of things. I, I, I wasn't really, I didn't, I guess, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say I was naive to it all, but I feel like I was a bit like, it, it was, I was just more focused on just trying to do my job really. I didn't really think about the pressure and the nerves and whatever. I just tried to think, how can I play the best I can here, to be honest, and then kind of come together nicely. It certainly did, and I've got to ask the the golden question. I always ask this about people's debuts, but in terms of those pair of stumpings, can you remember who you stumped on that night? Yeah, so the first one was Vasco Salas. Um, I think he's run down. I think it was a lynch out of Googly, which I didn't even pick, to be honest. Um, hard bowler to read, especially when I haven't kept too much. And I think it was, yeah, between between bat, bat and pad and down the leg side, while like between the batter. So I had to down the leg side a bit and more reaction than anything to be honest because I wasn't even expecting it to spin that way and then I got a stumping off cheats down the leg side I forgot who that was Taylor no it's oh. GB Gareth Berg but oh, you know yeah. a county veteran and an absolute stalwart to be honest of county cricket they're two big stumpings to have to your name and in particular the bowlers as well that was my next question if you could pick Jake Lintop because I hate to admit this, but I struggle, to be honest. Even when I'm watching, you know, from behind on a live stream, I do struggle to pick the googly and his leg break. It doesn't seem to have too much variation between the two, to be honest. I'm not sure if that looks different out the front of the hand, to be honest. But in terms of that night, could you actually pick Jake in terms of those wrong guns and, and the stock ball? I couldn't, to be honest. I think there was a few balls that, like, as a keeper, usually you, you, you're better than most at picking, picking out balls from the hand but because you're so used to it, but... There was a few ones near like the end of his spell that I could pick because I kind of got used to how he was bowling them and how what the ribs on the ball were like and 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 that. So nearer to, towards the end of his spell because I'm sure he bowled real well that day. Um, at the start, I couldn't really. But I remember speaking to um, I spoke to Burgess about it the, the following season. Um, he I, I don't know why I remember that, but he Burgess said to me that when because Burgess was at was at Sussex before. And he said that when Rashid Khan used to bowl, he couldn't pick him. So just in terms of prep-wise, like, learn, like not learning, when you're prepping, 
before the game, just literally getting a catch it board on a length and just working on your reactions, just up to the stumps. Because when you when you don't know which way it's going, you just got to back your instincts, really. You know, that's fascinating to hear, to be honest. It really is because I was thinking when you can't actually pick a spinner, is there a particular method or tactic which you can use? And I'm guessing that it is basically just a case of working on, on pure instincts and reflexes and reactions. I think as like a keeper, in terms of like keeping to spin, especially when it's turning, the, what, like what you don't want to do is just commit your weight too early because you, you want your head and hands working together. So I feel like if you, you plant your weight too early on where you're going and the ball ends up spinning, your hands are in a different place to your head. So just kind of committing committing to where how you're moving a bit later as opposed to committing your weight to a place where the ball might be pitching before it's bounced and turned and then you're not ready to move again once the ball kind of deviates off the pitch. So I just felt like I just tried not to commit too early so I could just pick pick where the ball was going and move with it the best I could. Well, I'll tell you what, Vicar, on that night, mate, definitely paid off, didn't it? To be honest, <laughs> with, with both those stumpings, as I said, I was ridiculously impressed. I, I really was, you know, for someone to come in at such a young age and two difficult spinners, right? Obviously, for different reasons, you've got Jake, who's a bit of a wild card because he's a left-arm wrist spinner. And then, of course, Jitan Patel, who is one of Warwickshire's greatest ever overseas players. But you don't want to miss a stumping off of Jeets because he deserves his wickets. He bowls very, very well for his wickets. So, I mean, honestly, on that night, very, very impressed to say the least. And I'm guessing it's got to be up there in terms of personal highlights. So I suppose the the one question I have about Warwickshire, Vicar, just before we touch upon your time spent in the Leicester Academy and, of course, the likes of Derbyshire 2s and Saka, just to wrap up proceedings for tonight's episode. In terms of that night at Wantage Road, would you say that was your personal highlight from your time at Edgebaston, yeah, it has to be, has to be definitely. I think that feeling of, even though obviously it was a bit bittersweet in the sense of that we didn't get the result we wanted, but that feeling walk, walking back and into the team coach, knowing that I put put a decent shift in with the gloves, it was it. Yeah, it was a great feeling, especially knowing that I was because I was a bit nervous. I was a bit. Everyone's going to have them them demons in their head saying, "Oh, what happens if you drop a catch? Or what happens if you do this, do that?" But when it kind of come off a bit, it was a yeah, it was a great feeling. It was a bit surreal, to be honest. Absolutely. And it's interesting, actually, you mention that mental aspect of keeping because it's something which holds a lot of people back, isn't it? It's almost the fear of failure because we mentioned beforehand the intense spotlights on keepers. You're expected to be perfect as a wicketkeeper because there's only one of you in the team. It's not like the fielders who you can kind of get away with it because you don't have a pair of gloves on. You're not training your fielding to the same extent every single day compared to keepers. Do you have any particular strategies, any particular tactics, which either when you're out on the field or just before a game has, has started, that you can implement in order to just quash those demons and almost just reduce that sense of of, of self-doubt and that fear of failure in some ways? I think... Um, you kind of have to, have to know within yourself that you've put the work in and put the, the hard yards in really because I feel if you feel that you've not done enough work or you've not worked hard enough you're going to have them demons but I feel like if you train hard enough trade train hard enough even and you kind of got that self-belief that you know what I can I can actually perform it in, in, in this way then you're able to kind of just 
same as batting really just let your kind of instincts take over and just just as a keeper i always think just to try and be as not aggressive towards anyone else but aggressive in the sense of how i want to be hungry to take that catch or hungry to dive in front of first slip and just always wanting to catch the ball really so i think as long as you've put that that that, that graft in you can kind of back back your own skills because i feel like if you don't then you've got a reason to have them demons you know what i mean I do, I completely understand, to be honest. It's like when you're back in school and you haven't quite prepared for a test. It's that kind of feeling, isn't it, to be honest? You do have that lingering sense of of doubt. So again, it comes back to your preparedness. And that's absolutely crucial, whether you're a keeper, a bowler, a batter. You've got to be prepared. You've got to be comfortable in your processes as well. So again, I just thought that was an interesting thing to, to touch upon. And in terms of the psychological aspects of the game, Vikai, again, this actually might almost transfer into that particular side of the game. But we, we've got to talk about almost the the lull in your county journey because 2021, unfortunately, didn't get the opportunities that you would have hoped for in a bear shirt. It didn't quite manifest itself, did it, compared to 2020? And all of a sudden, you're over in the East Midlands and you're on the Leicestershire Academy system. So in terms of that particular move, first and foremost... How did that actually transpire? So what happened was I um so I, I was on the Warwickshire Academy and I've gone to the Super Force competition down at Loughborough. Um and I think I was batting down the order uh, first game. I think we were, I think I was batting six or seven and we were seventy for four or five. Um and we were chasing two twenty and then me and uh, Sammy King who's at Knots at the moment, we uh, chased it down and got a nice little score, batted real well. Um I think it was like a 70 yard not out. Um, and then I think the uh, Leicestershire Academy director at the time, Ali- Alistair Maiden, he was um, he was watching and uh, got in touch with a few guys at Warwickshire about about me and how he was interested. And kind of end of the week, uh, went back to Warwickshire just to, I think we had a little game or had a training session. And basically they just said that Leicester are really interested. A few of the carries were sniffing about and Leicester were the most keen, so I thought that's, that's the best place to go, really. Well, to be honest, in the past, they've been a very good place to go to. And you mentioned Ali Maiden, a, a fellow Midlander, born in Stourbridge, home of the, the battered chip, which is a local delicacy. Have to try it mm. if you're over in the West Midlands. Oh, it's brilliant. Obviously, yourself, Vic, I, as a son of Wolverhampton, you know, <laughs> they are absolutely divine, aren't they? Those orange chips absolute best in the country by a country mile but in terms of that setup and that system again it is almost the the same question I had beforehand in terms of staffs and and of course the Bears but in terms of this new setup at Leicestershire obviously slightly different to Edgebaston in terms of the facilities it's not a test match hosting ground but the academy at Leicestershire has been very fruitful in recent years case in point being a certain Rian Ahmed who's just about to play over in India for the England Test side. So in terms of your experiences, in terms of that time spent at Grace Road, how would you summarise your experiences with the Leicestershire Academy? Yeah, it, it was real good for me, to be honest. I just um, did some work with Ali Maiden and um, some work after, because Ali, Ali, Ali must have left to go to, I think it was Yorkshire. Um, so then Jigger Knight become the new academy director. So we had a good winter, trained on some things and went into the season with some second team opportunity and played pretty well, a um, few scores and 
academy scores. So kind of yeah, credit to the winter that I had with them guys. It definitely um, transferred into like the outdoor outdoor season where I, I thought I, I thought I performed pretty well that year. You certainly did, and in terms of that time then in that setup, I mean I'm I'm guessing from that particular passage, very very fruitful, right? And the entire point of of being in an academy setup is to to get you on the right path in the game of crickets. Just one final question about Leicestershire, I suppose, in in that regard. What do you think was the biggest lesson that you learned from your time in that particular setup? I just thought during being in and around, I just felt like more in the season based because that was the first year where I felt I succeeded in second team cricket properly. Um, Just kind of that self-belief that you can actually score second team hundreds pretty much. And just having that self-belief was really important just in the future when I'm playing against second team, second teamers and first teamers and whatnot, just being able to have that belief that I can actually score runs and I can actually hit big scores and perform at, at a level where maybe before I didn't think I was capable of doing. Yeah, it makes a difference, doesn't it? To be honest, when you've got that weight of runs behind you, you've got those prior performances. It does make a massive difference. And again, it's something which you can transfer into your wider cricketing journey. It's something which you know you've done in the past. There's no reason why you can't do again in the future. And talking of second 11 crickets, that leads me beautifully, to be honest, onto the next club in your journey, Vikai, which is, of course, Derbyshire. It's the county which you're representing in the twos in 2023. So in terms of that opportunity, just before we talk about your time at Saka and wrap-up proceedings for the episode, how did that opportunity first manifest itself? So I think um, Derby were looking for a keeper to trial on the second team and pretty much um, I think they messaged Tom Brown, the the, the founder of, of Saka, and just basically said, have you like, what players have you got? And Brownie showed them my stats from the year before and they were pretty keen and in, interested to get me in. So I did a few sessions with them and then pretty much just got straight into proceedings and just started playing in the, in, in, in the second team. Fair enough. So quite a conventional route then into it yeah, in terms yeah. of yeah your time at Derbyshire too. So actually your time at Saka preceded your time at Derbyshire then. So in terms of the opportunity with the South Asian Cricket Academy, which as long-term listeners of this podcast will know, I'm a massive, massive proponent of this particular setup. I think it's been absolutely brilliant. And, you know, we've just seen it in, in recent days with Yadvinder. He's just been accepted onto Worcestershire, landed his first pro contract. So many cricketers, and of course coaches as well, with the likes of Shatab Khalid, for example, he's gone on to get a high-performance role at Warwickshire, have benefited as a result of this particular programme. So in terms of this time spent with Sakovikai, how did that first materialise? When did you find out that you could have the opportunity to take part on this particular programme? So pretty much what happened was after um, the things didn't really work out with Leicester, I'd uh, gone to Australia just to have a winter abroad. Um, so I was there for five, six months. And then while I was out there, Brownie just dropped me a message really and just said, oh, like, be fancy coming down and training with us guys and playing next season. I was definitely interested. So just as soon as I come back, um got it because they were trying to get edgy at the time so they're trying to get edge bastard so which isn't too far from me so got down to a few sessions started training and then 
just jump straight into the season, really. Fair enough. So, again, quite a nice route into Saka then. And in terms of the academy itself, this is a question which I've asked a number of cricketers, to be honest. And most recently, I asked Zainal Hassan about this. Because I mentioned beforehand the, the prior success of this programme, just to name a, a few of the names who have graduated from the academy itself so far. You've got Kashif Ali. I've just mentioned beforehand Yadvinder Singh, who's just gone on to represent Worcestershire. Arafat Boyan, down in Kent. Hassan Azad, who came back into the game, represented North Ant in 2023. The aforementioned Zainal Hassan at Glamorgan. Zaman Akhtar at Gloucestershire, Andy Umid at Somerset, and of course Jaffa Chohan at Yorkshire. So many cricketers are benefiting as a result of this particular scheme and the academy setup that Saka have provided. So as someone who's kind of lived through this academy setup, they kind of experiences it, even up until this day, you've just been down in, in Bristol at the moment, training with these lads. What is it about Saka as a setup which you believe harbours so many potential cricketers. Why do you think this particular setup has been so successful in comparison to maybe other setups? I think because there's a lot of cricketers that do escape the system that potentially have been hard done by, or um, obviously there's other things that um, sort of things that go into that. But I think, especially being in an environment like we're all such a tight knit group and we're all kind of we all want to achieve the same goal. So everyone's happy for each other's successes and everyone's kind of, because everyone wants the same things, it's good to see the lads do well. It's, it's good to see that when you do well yourself, the other lads are celebrating it. And I think when everyone wants the same thing, everyone kind of works works together to kind of help everyone else reach that goal, if that makes sense. 100%. And having had that prior success, we mentioned it beforehand, but success breeds success. If you're seeing guys like Cash, Yadvinta, Jaffa, go on to represent counties and get back into the circuit. It's massive, isn't it? It shows that it's possible. It shows that it's attainable as a goal. And who knows? All it takes is a good performance, a good season. It could be you. You could be the ninth graduate. That's the great thing about this particular setup. And the other interesting aspect of Saka that I thought was absolutely fascinating, they've done a lot of research, to be honest, and you can find all of this on their website. But one of the, the more interesting facts which I actually saw on this is that 62% of former male professional cricketers who've been released were released before the age of 25, which is absolutely staggering, to be honest. You mentioned beforehand, Vikai, about players being lost to the system. That was happening quite a lot beforehand, unless you have some, you know, some anomalies, the likes of Jake Lintot, for example, who came back in at the age of 28, Richard Gleeson was another one for North Ants. He also came into the circuit at 28, I believe. And now we're seeing Yadvinder come in also at the age of 28, funnily enough. But the system at times does almost release a bit too much talent. And for a lot of players, it's difficult. You know, you've got to do a lot of trials. You've got to do a lot of second 11 cricket, national counties, and you're not being paid for it. It takes a special individual to get back into county cricket and to almost relive this dream once again. So, in terms of your motivation, Vikai, why are you a part of Saka? What is it inside you which has motivated you to continue this ultimate dream? I think, well, just the hard work that I've put in over the years, I feel like, well, first things first, I've got the, I've got a love for the game. So when you've got a look, when you've got a passion for something, you always want to succeed in, in, in whatever you're doing. But just, just the love of the game, really. I just want to get back into the, want to get back into the setup, really, and. 
kind of proved that this is what I want to be doing and I'm I'm good enough to be doing it. So just pure pure passion really, I think. Having that love for the game and just wanted to succeed. Well, I absolutely love that answer, to be honest, because passion is an important thing and it's something which you can never let go. Never lose your passion, right? That goes for anything in life, to be honest, whether it's for a hobby, whether it's for a job, whether it's for a dream career. As soon as you lose that fire within, you've lost the battle, to be honest. You've got to have a desire. You've got to have that passion. So I'm really glad to hear that, mate. And in terms of Saka, just before we touch upon the future and wrap up the podcast, in terms of the, the current crop then, I've mentioned those beforehand who have graduated from the scheme, but aside from yourself, who do you think we should be watching out for in terms of the current crop at the South Asian Cricket Academy? I think Zen Malik's a big one. And I'd say... I'd say... Savin Pereira. Yes, formerly of Middlesex, former under-19 yeah. as well, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah proper player as well. Be good to see him back in county cricket, wouldn't it? Oh, That'd be a great he's, story. He's That'd just be watch, brilliant. To watch. It really would. And to be honest, he looks like he's putting a lot of hard work. We mentioned about determination, sacrifice. Honestly, he's putting a lot of toil over the years of Savin. So, yeah, to be honest, I'd agree. <laughs> Two good shouts. And Zen, I don't see how he's not got a county deal. Honestly, I thought about oh. four or five counties. He could easily slot in, right? I'm not about in terms of starting every single game, but. That fella is a serious cricketer. <laughs> he really serious is. We've seen it in twos. Yeah. So, yeah, watch out for Zen Malik and Savin Pereira. It would be great, wouldn't it? Get into double digits for 2024 and see those guys represent counties over Definitely. the course of this upcoming summer. And talking of that summer, Vikai, again, I've set myself up beautifully. I've given myself a half volley to drive into the covers delectably. <laughs> but in terms of this future, in terms of this upcoming summer, right, what are your aspirations in the game? What does Vikai Kelly hope to achieve heading into the summer of 2024 and, of course, the years beyond? I think just for myself, just just enjoy my cricket, really. I think I play my best cricket when I when I enjoy and then whatever opportunity arises from that and hope, hope I take them. So, obviously, the ultimate goal is to get back into the system. So, yeah, just enjoy my cricket, working hard and see where it takes me. Well, Vikai, it goes out saying, mate, but obviously myself and everybody associated with the Counts Cricket Podcast are wishing you all the very best of luck heading into this summer and, of course, the years beyond. I, I said it beforehand, right, all the way back with your Warwickshire debut. Very impressed with your keeping. You've quite clearly got a very level head on your shoulders. And I just loved your answer about commitment and passion. It's something which you cannot lose. Just keep on striving to get back into the circuit and you never know a bit like your debut all it takes is for an illness an injury you need some cover in a certain area and all of a sudden things can spiral it can be the catalyst to get you back into county cricket so we'll be keeping a close eye on your progress for the Derbyshire twos and of course Saka over the course of this upcoming summer and yeah to be honest mate it would be brilliant wouldn't it becoming Saka graduate number nine that's a nice ring to it to be honest yeah, heading into the summer that's the plan of 2024 but Vic I, I think that is a lovely place to wrap up what's been an absolutely fascinating episode of the Counter Cricket Podcast I'm just looking at the clock well over an hour doesn't feel like that to be honest we've no, spoken about all, all sports all. Warwickshire Staffs Derbyshire Leicestershire Wicket Keeping MS Stoney Joss Butler it's had it all <laughs> to be honest it's exactly why I love the Counter Cricket Podcast for particular conversations like this so just before we say our final goodbyes for the recording 
Do you have anything to plug or promote? Any social media channels, websites, businesses, anything like that? Um, put them on the spot there. I think. Oh yes, follow my Instagram, guys. Vicky Kelly. There we go. <laughs> well, folks, if you want to go and follow Vicky on Instagram, you can of course do that by clicking on the link in the podcast description below. It should be at the top of the description, if I'm not mistaken. At least that's podcast tradition, so I'm guessing <laughs> that it will be there, and you can find that, and of course give Vicky a follow and check out how he goes over the summer of 2024. But that is essentially it from us two here at the Counter Cricket Podcast for tonight's show. To each and every single one of you wonderful listeners out there, thank you ever so much for tuning in. And as always, guys, we'll see you on the next one.